you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we're looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about that God made everything and he made it very good. And then last week, we talked about that God made us female and male, that he, he's the one who came up with the whole idea of marriage. And we left everybody in the Garden of Eden and it was such a wonderful place. They were even naked and unashamed. I mean, it was just a great, it was, everything was going great. Well, today we're hitting Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we find out the origin of evil and suffering and pain. And when we planned this series, I didn't know what was going to happen this last week. But man, this last week, um, I had the opportunity to spend a couple hours just in prayer and ministry with the staff of the Alabama Sheriff's Girls Ranch, their staff team, after if you hadn't heard about it, Eight kids involved with their program died in a tragic, horrific car accident a little over a week ago. And just meeting with their staff, and there was just so many tears, and there was so much sadness and grief and even anger. How could this happen? And the reality of what I'm talking about today was just overwhelming. Because we live in a fallen world. Why? And if you've ever wondered that, why did things like that happen? Why do apartment buildings collapse? If there's a good God in heaven, how could an apartment building, half of it just collapse in Miami? I mean, I got messages from my uh, family in Kansas. They had flooding there yesterday. They had like six inches of rain in an hour. I mean, Kansas is flatter than this platform I'm standing on. You dump six inches of rain over a big area out there, there's no place for the water to go. Why are there floods and tornadoes and hurricanes and cancer and why do all these horrible things happen? Well, the Bible explains that too. And today I want to talk to you about the origin of suffering and evil in the world. I also want to tell you what God is doing about it. This is not a litany of despair and depression. This is a message of why it is, why things are the way they are and what God is doing to set things right again, what he's done and what is still happening, how people's lives can be set right again. But I want you to pray with me because this is an important message. Father, if we don't understand the origins of where we came from, we're likely to misunderstand what's even happening and Lord, I thank you that your word not only tells us you made things, but you also tell us how things went wrong and what you've done to set things right again. And so, Lord, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way and you'll remind us of truth, truth about ourselves, truth about the world in which we live, and truth about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and truth about heaven. We need to know all these things. So please speak and move me out of the way, Lord, so we can hear good news from you today. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Point one on your outline simply says this, that God created all that is, and originally everything he created was very good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read this, it's the opening sentence of the Bible. And then a little later on the first page of the Bible, in Genesis 1.31, it says, and God saw all that he had made after he created everything, and it was very good. Well, how do you put together everything was very good with all the stuff I just described a minute ago? 
Well, that's why you got to keep reading past the first page. Because after he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, they sinned. And point two on your outlines reminds us that sin ruined everything. The margin next to that just put the word rebellion. If you wanted to put another definition for sin, that would be a good one. Knowing what God wants you to do and not doing it. Knowing what God does not want you to do and doing it anyway. That's sin. Here's how it happened. The serpent was, this is Genesis 3, <coughs> first few verses. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, of course we may eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. We had just left them last week naked and unashamed. And now they're ashamed of it. Something changed as soon as they ate. From the forbidden fruit. I want to stop for a second, and if you've got, if you're here with us on your paper outline, it's not just a running, uh, scrolling thing like online. But if you're here with the paper outline, if you'd flip your outline open and go to point A on the next page, I just want to make a comment about the devil. The devil was speaking through this serpent. In fact, elsewhere in the Bible, uh, the devil is called that old serpent. He's also called by the name Satan, and Satan means adversary, the one who opposes. That's his name. He opposes God and he opposes everything that God created. And we're the highest of his creation. And so he opposes us and he's constantly tempting us to go his way instead of God's way through doubt, deception, and outright lies. I mean, the lie about, the, or the conversation about the fruit shows all those things. First of all, just doubt. Did God really say you can't eat, you can't eat fruit? God's against fruit? Why can't you eat the fruit off any of the trees? He didn't say we couldn't eat the fruit off any of the trees. He just said, no, off that one tree in the very center of the garden. And she knew exactly which one it was. Hmm. But you see, even the way the question's worded, it puts doubt in your mind. I mean, because Satan would love to do two things. Cast doubt on two things, God's character and God's word. I mean, God's holding out on you, Eve. Why would he tell you you can't eat fruit? Well, he didn't. Oh, oh, he told you not to eat this fruit. Well, can I tell you why? Why not? Well, you'll die. We'll die. It's like, you won't die. I mean, this is an outright lie. And the devil hasn't changed his tactic. That's why I wanted to remind us that he's our adversary too, because he's still doing this. Casting doubt on, well, did God really say, I mean, like you take the issue of sexuality. Did God really say that sexuality is bad? I mean, it's terrible? Well, no, he just said that we're supposed to enjoy sex within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime where there's protection and safety and security and a place to raise kids and all the other things that go along with marriage. Forgiveness and trust and all those things. Yeah. 
That's wrong. I mean, God knows that, you know, an affair every now and then will really spice up a marriage. God knows you don't need to wait till marriage. I mean, we could pick that topic. You could pick any topic. And the devil would love to tell us, hey, does the Bible say that I have to give away everything I own to everybody all the time? Well, no, but it does say we're supposed to help the poor. Ah, oh, there's, there's other people who help the poor. You take care of yourself. That's not right. You got to look out for number one. Nobody else is looking out for number one. Let other people take care of other people. You take care of yourself. Whatever you want to put in there, you can put in any circumstance. And man, we look at it, whatever the issue is, it'd make us so wise. It'd make us so popular, so enlightened in our thinking. And there'd be plenty of people online that'll tell us, yep, now you're getting enlightened. But it's the same lie. And that's why when Jesus was asked by his disciple to teach him how to pray, he said, you gotta, if you're going to pray, here's something you could pray all the time. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one, from the devil. Peter says he's like a roaring lion prowling around looking for somebody to devour. Somebody he can convince today that God's word is wrong God can't be trusted. God's holding out on you. And if you live God's way, you're missing out. When nothing further could be, nothing could be further from the truth. It started in the garden. It's still going on today. And if you understand the origins, you understand that Satan hasn't changed his tactics at all. He's still casting doubt, still using deception, still using outright lies. to cause us pain and to separate us from God and to separate us from each other. Why? Because he's our adversary. That's his name. Back to the story, if you'll flip back again. Well, at that moment, after they ate from the fruit, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Never felt shame before. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool of the evening breezes was blowing, the man and his wife hid uh, they heard the Lord God walking around the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I mean, they hid. They'd never hidden from God before. They'd never felt shame before. Everything's changed. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, Well, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Well, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. So there's already problems between the man and the woman right here, and between the man and God. Adam's never blamed God for anything before. Never blamed Eve for anything before. Hmm. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then he said to the woman, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in the pain you'll give birth and your desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Man, pain and more pain. Pain in childbirth and now a struggle between male and female. 
God had brought the man and the woman together. Last week we were talking about Adam said, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's perfect for me. She'll be called woman. She was taken out of man. And now they're in the Garden of Eden where they're still there. As soon as they eat of the forbidden fruit, all of a sudden now they're blaming each other. And God says, there's going to be now be a curse upon your whole relationship. There's going to be a struggle between men and women for control from here on out. It's still happening today. This is the origin. Mm. And pain in childbirth, there's pain now introduced into the world. There'd been no pain in paradise. Mm. And to the man, he said, well, since you listened to your wife, you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. And all your life, you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It'll grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you'll return. Up until that time, they could eat the fruit off of all the trees, other than that one low-hanging fruit, delicious fruit of all kinds, just for the taking. But since they were going their own way, now they had to scratch a living from the ground. It explains why we're still doing that to this day. And thorns and thistles and hard work and sweat and frustration and exhaustion. Here's the origin. And then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they'll live forever in a wicked, rebellious state. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending him out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And so as the chapter ends, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. Their relationship with God has been radically altered. They can no longer go walk with him and talk with him in the cool of the day in the garden. The relationship with each other has been changed. In fact, here's a whole bunch of things that happened. Sin brought shame. Sin damaged our relationship with God. Sin damaged our relationship with others. Sin brought pain and suffering. Sin brought death and decay. Sin got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And the devil was laughing. I mean, he successfully deceived the first two people into thinking that sin was no big deal. There's God's way. We might buy into this too, that there's God's way, there's the devil's way, and then there's our way, this neutral zone. But the devil knows either we're following God or we're following him. I mean, when they stopped following God, they were led around by breadcrumbs by the great deceiver. The Bible tells us the devil comes as an angel of light. Oh, man, let me tell you a much better way. He's always got a twist on it that's better than God's way. You get a much more pleasure if you do it this way. Life is much better if you don't do what God says because he's the adversary and he wants to destroy things. But I take you to point B on your outline that sin is choosing to go our own way instead of God's way and it always has painful consequences that spread much farther than we think. I mean, Adam and Eve, when they ate of the fruit, 
I mean, you, you can just imagine years later, like, why did we do that? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Isaiah 53.6 reminds us. We've left God's paths to follow our own. When Adam sinned, this is Romans 5, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. It wasn't just that they were going to die, it was that all their children would die. And the same sin nature that's bent on going against God's word and going our own way, their kids would inherit that same nature. It's why you and I have it. And our parents had it. And our kids have it. And we don't even have to teach them. Because, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned, and the wages of sin is death. That's Romans 6.23. Death entered the world. Not just for human beings either. Romans 8, Paul says, against its will, all of creation was subject, subjected to God's curse. All the ground was cursed. Now everything dies. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. But the world in which we live in now, there's death and decay. And that's why we have hurricanes and cancer and crime and wars because of sin. It entered the human heart. It entered the world, which Adam was to govern over. And Satan is still busy deceiving and tricking people every chance he can. Now, before I get to what God did to remedy all of this, I want to answer three important questions. First of all, if we're talking about origins here, you may be asking, well, why did God allow Adam and Eve to be tempted in the first place? I mean, my goodness, if he created them and he knew they were susceptible to this, why don't you just leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil out of the garden? If they never eat the fruit, they never get kicked out. There's nothing to be tempted with. Problem solved. Yeah, you solved that problem, but you created another one because God wants a loving relationship, and love is a choice. Love is a choice. Could we say that together, please? Love is a choice. I'm grateful. Debbie and I are going to celebrate 35 years of marriage later this summer. And I'm so glad that she chose to marry me. I wear this ring proudly. And I tell people all the time, Debbie chose me above all the other men that she could have married. And I, man, there would have been a lot of guys that would have been lucky to marry her. But she chose me, and I'm not letting her out of the deal. But you know what? It would really kind of sour the whole deal if on our wedding day we were take, making the vows and, hey, do you love each other? And we promise to honor and cherish each other. If she just said, look, I'm marrying John because he's the only one who wants to marry me. He's the only taker I've got. If, another, if a better offer comes along later, I'll take that. But this is all I got right now, so I'll, be settled, I'll settle for him. That would be a downer. God didn't want our obedience by default. He doesn't want a bunch of robots. He could have made us all robots. We don't have a free will. But since he wants love, love is a choice. He wants children, not machines, who willingly love him. 
But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. This is what God is after. Love freely given. He loves us that way. He wants us to love him back that way. That's why we can't bring people to Christ by force. It has to be freely given. Secondly, well then, why didn't God make us stronger and smarter? Okay, well, if he wants love, then why didn't he make us smarter so we could see through the devil's schemes or stronger? Maybe we could resist his uh, charms a little better so we wouldn't rebel. Well, the answer to that is being stronger and smarter doesn't free us from moral choices. It only allows us to obey or sin to a greater degree. Luke 12, Jesus is talking about this. When someone's been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. I mean, we all know this is true. You can be brilliant. You can be a genius and come up with a cure for cancer. Or you can be an evil genius and come up with a weapon that will kill millions. But your intellect can be used for good or for evil. So the smarter you are, the more potential you have for good and for evil. I mean, the devil was the highest of all the angels when he rebelled. And that's why he is so terribly evil. Thirdly, why doesn't God end suffering and evil right now? Okay, well, if that's what's going on, why doesn't he just end it? I mean, why are we still having more of this happen? Well, the answer to that is God will end suffering and evil one day soon, but he's giving more time for sinners to repent. I mean, praise God, he gave me time to repent. If you're grateful that God gave you time to come to your senses and repent of your sin, would you say amen? Well, you know, there are many people all around us, they still haven't repented yet. People in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, they need Jesus. They're far away from God. They have been believing the devil's lies and his tricks. They have been. They still are. And the devil will tell them, oh, look, if you live your own way, you'll be so progressive. You'll be so smart. You'll be so in with everybody. And they believe him. And that's why God has left us here. We can show them what a transformed life looks like. He uses us to be his ambassadors. And Peter said, don't miss this. The Lord really isn't being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. To repent means to turn around, come to him. Man, you read the first three steps in the 12-step program, any 12-step program basically goes like this. We admitted we were powerless over whatever it is that's controlling them and that our lives had become unmanageable. That's step one. Step two, we came to believe that someone greater than ourselves would rest, could restore us to sanity. That's, and then step three is we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. We said our lives are unmanageable. We realized God could do something about it. And step three is we let him. And that's what I want to bring you to. This is the last point in your outline, that the rest of the Bible tells us how God dealt with sin and how he's making things right again. 
That's the rest of the story. The Bible is one story from beginning to end. First of all, God sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, in order to free us from the penalty of sin. We talked about it a minute ago that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, everyone sinned, and the wages of sin is death. We will all die as a penalty for our sin. But praise God, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And so we can live forever because that penalty has been paid in full. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners like you and me to bring you safely home to God. If that's good news, would you say amen? amen? So Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. That's why God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. To pay the penalty for sin, the penalty that's when sin entered the world, all the way back at Adam, in the time of Adam. In fact, later in the New Testament, in Romans, Paul says that sin entered the world through the first Adam. Life entered the world through the second Adam. He said Jesus is how life gets restarted, gets a reboot. We all inherit a sin nature when we're naturally born, but when we're reborn through Jesus, we get new life. Secondly, God has given us his Holy Spirit to free us from the controlling power of sin. Okay, but even if we're forgiven for our sins, if the devil is that cunning and that smart and he's tricked us for all this time, we have all this bad thinking and all these bad habits and we couldn't change them before, how are we going to change them now? Well, not only did Jesus pay the penalty for our sins, but he said, I'm going to go get everything ready for you. And while I'm gone, I'm going to ask the Father, my Father to send the Holy Spirit to be with you and to be in you. And he's going to give you power to be my witnesses. He's going to guide you into truth. He'll give you power to change. He'll change the way you think. Paul reflected on this in Romans 7. He said, look, I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Could we read this whole screen together, please? And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We were never able to stand up to temptation before. We were never able to overcome our sinful vices and habits in our own strength. But praise God, because we've given our lives to Jesus and we received the Holy Spirit, he now empowers us so we can have victory over sin and we don't have to live that way anymore. No, I mean, this is, this is the whole thing. We realized our lives were unmanageable. We realized that God could do something about it. So we surrendered our lives to him, received the Holy Spirit, and now he's changing us. While we live in the world, we are being changed every day. Some of you, this week, God changed the way you thought about something. This week, you finally had victory over sin. A loose tongue, an out-of-control temper. You're able to forgive a grudge. Maybe you're able to surrender an addiction and start getting help. I don't know what it was, but this week, God showed you something. Next week, some of you will experience this in another area of your life. So not only do we, did uh, Jesus come into the world to pay the penalty of our sins, the Holy Spirit gives us, power, gives us the power to resist the devil and overcome the controlling power of sin. We're not his pawns anymore. We're free. But John, is there more? Yes, there's more. 
Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven where we'll be free from the very presence of sin forever. And the Bible tells us all these things. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then the angel, this is a vision that John received. This is in the, these are in a couple of the last pages of the Bible. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God in the center of heaven. And the Lamb of God, that river flowed from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. A couple of minutes ago, we talked about when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a curse and they were kicked out of the garden and they couldn't eat of the tree of life. Now, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, we're invited into the city of heaven where Jesus has prepared a place for us. And in the middle of that city, there's a river of life flowing down and the tree of life uh, grows on both sides and you can eat all you want. Beginning of the Bible, we find the origin of sin. Halfway through, when the New Testament begins, we find God sacrificing his own son and all the different steps that he took in between to get us there. At the end of the Bible, we find that Jesus has prepared a place for us and we're invited to come and live with him in paradise forever where once again, just like in Eden, there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more shame, no more struggles ever again. Man. I said that at 8 o'clock, and nobody said a mumbling word, and so I'm going to do the same thing I did then. I'm going to go through that list again, and I want an amen, or well, I want a hallelujah, okay? When in heaven, the place that Jesus is preparing for us, there is no more sin, there's no more sorrow, there's no more death, there's no more pain, no more crime, no more natural disasters, nothing bad will ever happen again. Yeah, you, you guys are still weak on that, but anyway, that's fine. I don't really care if we say it together. I just want us to realize it. I mean, do you understand? This is the story. We don't just get saved from the penalty of sin. Then we got to slog through life on our own and hope the devil doesn't trick us again. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're changed we have spiritual armor. We can stand up to him with God's word as a sword. We have a shield of our faith. We can stand together with brothers and sisters. This is real. Yeah, but does it ever get better? Yes. And Jesus prepared a place for us in heaven, and he's coming soon. Well, why doesn't he come now? Because he's giving more time for people to repent. He wants as many to come as who will ever come, but it has to be freely given. He can't make them come. And this all makes sense if you understand the origins. That's why it's so important we surrender everything we have. Will you pray with me? God, it is vital we understand this. If we don't understand who we are and where we came from, we're not going to understand why it was necessary for Jesus to die on the cross. 
And Lord, it's also important to understand why you give us freedom of will and why we need to choose you. And we are kidding ourselves if we think that we can not choose you and then not follow the devil at the same time. He is cunning. And we're never able to outsmart him on our own. But thanks be to God, through Christ, we not only have forgiveness, we can have a relationship with you. We have power through the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, I'm grateful. pray, Lord, you would hear our prayers today. Forgive us for the times that we have been stubborn and rebellious. Forgive us for the times we've been exactly like Adam and Eve when we have listened and to things that contradict your word, and we know it. We know what you said, and we listen anyway because it would make us so wise, and it looks like so much fun, and everybody else is doing it. Oh, forgive us, dear Lord. We repent of our sins. We repent of the things we were told not to do and we did anyway. We repent of the things we were told to do and we haven't done them yet. Forgive us for our rebellion. We repent, O oh Lord. It's sin. And forgive us as a people. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.